It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through right it. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hi. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and we have uh, an interesting show uh, lined up here. Um, starting with, well, let me let me start it this way. This week marked the uh, one-year anniversary uh, since uh, a Minneapolis uh, police officer restrained George Floyd to death. And uh, a lot of people have been talking about that uh, and, and remembering that, that horrible event that we all s- saw played out on uh, uh, various uh, media outlets. And I, I wanted to uh, get someone to talk to about that and police reform and, and other things, and I'm really fortunate to have joining me now by phone um, the uh, chief of police from Southfield, Michigan, Alvin Barron, joins me by phone. Chief, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, sir, and, and thanks for having me. Um Chief, you know, in the wake of the George Floyd killing, and there are so many, if we listed them, we wouldn't have a chance to talk about anything else. Um, There's been a a movement around the country under the banner, defund the police. What do you think when you hear that phrase? 
Yeah, and I'll start off that I am not an advocate of defunding the police. Uh, certainly, I do recognize that uh, there are some programs uh, that should be instituted on a national level, particularly in the areas of mental illness. And so, but I've always said uh, the government has money, and we need to demand that the government place money in those particular areas of concern. What are some of the things, um, you know, I've been, I've been using the phrase, I haven't heard anyone else use it, of uh, George Floyd being restrained to death. Um, the officer Chauvin, uh, in his um, defense, tried to point out that um, he was doing what he had been trained to do. And what is wrong with training if, if methods that police use to restrain people that might be resistant to arrest, um, if those methods result in, in death? Well, the method that you saw Officer Servant use was not taught by any police training. It, what he did was strangle a Mr. Floyd to death. And so when you look at that account, Mr. Floyd was already restrained. He was handcuffed. He was in a prone position. And then he was begging uh, for his life, begging for the opportunity uh, just to be able to breathe. Right. So I uh, separate myself uh, from that type of behavior. And even when I looked in the Minneapolis Police Department's policies, it did not support that type of misconduct slash criminality. With um, and I want to take just a minute here, Chief, to let you know we've been joined by uh, my my favorite uh, Oakland County activist, Pam Gerald, who uh, helped put us together, and she's she's on the line with us. But um, good morning, Chief. Hey, good morning, Ms. Gerald. Um, Chief, let me uh, let me ask this: um, in the discussions around defund the police, it means different things to different people. And what some people are saying is that, that this isn't calling for getting rid of police departments, but rather reorganizing police departments so that the right people are responding to the right things. And when I say that, I'm thinking of, uh, you know, cases of, um, uh, that involve mental health or... Um, some other kind of behavior that that needs to be addressed but maybe not necessarily by law enforcement um what what are some ways that you think police departments could uh realign themselves and that that public safety overall could realign itself in a way that might be more effective and and less uh perhaps less violent yeah, and I'll start with what we're doing here in Southfield uh, as it relates to that realignment that you're talking about. So we're looking uh, to hire a mental health professional to assist us with calls for service involving persons suffering from mental illness. Yes. When you look at mental illness, uh, although there are instances where those individuals uh, have violent tendencies, overall most calls for service involving uh, mental health are nonviolent, and we could use a mental health professional to assist us in those calls for service because they have the training and the expertise 
uh, to assist in defusing any potential uh, situations. Well, Tom, you know, we in the city of Southfield, and I am very proud of the chief, we've had some instances where um, the person that the police was called on had some mental health issues, and I love the way our police officers are very delicate approaching the situation when the family member has to call on another family member and how delicate the police are in getting that person to come down and to get the attention that they need and the evaluation that they need to get them some help. I, I am very proud of what our police department and our chief is doing as it relates to mental health and the escalated violence associated with mental health. Thank you, Chief, for that. Thank you. And, and Tom, I do want to add one more layer to that uh, on what Ms. Gerald is speaking of. So while we're waiting to institute our mental health professionals, uh, Southfield police officers have received advanced training uh, in mental health response. And that's what Ms. Gerald is speaking of. So if there's a call for service, mental health related, the dispatchers send those officers who have received that advanced training to those calls for service first uh, because they have the, the knowledge uh, to deal with those situations in a very careful, systematic manner. You, you know, Chief, more and more people are uh, pushing back about what they refer to as militarization of police departments, the, the use of... Uh, uh, special armored vehicles and and body armor and 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 they end up looking even for a fairly routine response more like a SWAT team than, than you know than than you know your average beat cop. Um, but with that in mind, um, police officers have a very dangerous job and they need to protect themselves what are the calls that that are the most frightening for police officers are they domestic violence calls yeah absolutely and tom i'm gonna take you back a couple years uh, in my time with the detroit police department <laughs> and many of you know me as one who dealt with many different tactical situations so when there was calls for service with an armed barricaded suspect uh, it was I who was managing those critical incidents. And so we do have uh, industry standard armored vehicles to respond to those situations because there's been a number of times we've had officers pinned down uh, from gunfire. We've had citizens pinned down. We need to rescue them uh, from that particular situation. And we need armored vehicles uh, to conduct a proper uh, response to those calls for service. However, when you look at some of the departments, they may have uh, the tanks that they've gotten from the military through the 1033 program. Right. I do understand some of the community's pushback of concern because it can be offensive, particularly to the residents who were here during the 67 riots, um, and they have some, uh, some reservations about that. So it's important that we switch to, again, industry standard policing equipment so that we're not looking militarized. Chief, we just have a couple of minutes left, uh, and I, I want to make sure and, and get to this because most of the cases that we hear about with police uh, involved in um, 
the shooting, especially of unarmed young black men. Um, that is a situation that typically occurs during a traffic stop. And I want to give you a chance to, to maybe share with people how they might behave in a way that's less likely to provoke the kind of um, response of, of guns drawn and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, and Tom, I'm going to take you to an event that we put on here in the Southfield Police Department when we engage our youth. Because right now our youth are concerned, our youth are hurting, and we did what we yes. called a a program that was the basics of traffic safety. And so we had young drivers and their parents. Uh, we shared with them how to uh, conduct themselves when they find themselves involved with the interaction with police. We also showed them what their rights were uh, as citizens and their responsibilities and how they should be treated uh, by law enforcement. And if they're not happy about how they're treated, what they can do as it relates to ensuring that a supervisor is summoned to that same uh, by our policy. And so it's very important that we continue these discussions uh, because, as you've seen uh, across the country, uh, there's been some instances that should not have happened as it relates to traffic stops, uh, particularly when you look at what happened in Indianapolis uh, when the police officer uh, thought that she had armed herself with a taser. And so I, I, I also want to... Uh, ensure that the police department is properly trained because those type of mistakes cannot happen uh, in policing. And so that's why when this conversation is about defunding the police, understand that the dollars that we use that could be taken would go to training, would go to equipment, yes. staffing. And we need properly trained, equipped police officers so those type of incidents do not happen in policing. Chief, does it does it help in in cities like uh, Southfield and Detroit and and Flint, um, where we haven't seen these these big national stories of of a police officer involved uh, shooting of an unarmed suspect? Thank it, God. Does it does it has the fact that there are more black officers in those communities? helping in the relations between the police and those communities? Yeah, that, I do believe that is a, a factor, uh, having more African-American uh, police officers. When you look at uh, policing, it is important for police departments to be reflective of the, com of the community. And I'm not suggesting 100%, uh, but in some fashion or form that the community is represented by police officers. Uh, but regardless of race, because right now, policing is a predominantly white male-dominated field. Right. So regardless of race, it stems to accountability, training, courageous leadership from police leaders to uh, identify uh, behavior that should not be taking place, patterns of behavior, and deal with it very timely, and deal with it, and I'm going to keep saying it, very courageously by holding members accountable who disgrace the badge. Well, Chief, we have to, Chief, we have to end it there, but uh, I hope you'll Tom, come back when we can spend more time. We're in, we're in the commercial in oh, one oh, second. Oh, commercial break. Oh, okay. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Vi from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Jonah Bodie. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue now uh, with uh, my... uh, Well, we're actually going to shift gears here. I have uh, joining me by phone, of course, my my favorite Oakland County activist, Pam Gerald. Good morning, Tom. And Pam, thanks for uh, connecting me with uh, Chief Alvin uh, Barron from Southfield. That was uh, a good good conversation. I hope we can have him back and, and talk longer. No problem. Um, but joining us now by phone is the executive director of Voters Not Politicians, Nancy Wang. Nancy, welcome to the show. Hi, good morning. Um, Nancy, let's talk a little bit about Voters Not Politicians because you're involved with uh, redistricting and the uh, the move to change how we draw the lines for elected representation and for a lot of people that's kind of inside baseball um, do you want to talk just just for a moment about what voter uh, voters not politicians is and 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 include how it it came about because I'm fascinated by Katie's story sure so we are a grassroots group and we formed in 2016 um, from, you know, starting with a Facebook post that our founder, Katie Fahey, posted. And, you know, none of us had political experience before, but what we knew was that uh, Michigan was one of the, you know, the states across the country which had the most extremely gerrymandered maps. And what that meant was politicians were going behind closed doors and drawing our district maps, which determine, you know, who you can vote for um, for the next 10 years. And what they were doing was, you know, breaking apart communities and, you know, or, or packing um, communities together so that they could basically um, predict, uh, you know, the outcome of elections um, beforehand because they were packing Republicans, um, you know, in, in some districts and um, splitting apart, you know, Democratic-leading communities and others. So we just as regular citizens... Uh, we put together a campaign to amend our Michigan Constitution so that we put citizens, um, uh, you know, in charge of redistricting instead of politicians who, of course, you know, have a conflict of interest. And we won in 2018. And so now we have a Citizens Commission. Um, it's 13 Michiganders from all over the state. And their job is to draw new district lines that are fair, that really keep our communities together so that everyone can vote for politicians of their choice as opposed to politicians choosing their voters. How, how much has the uh, delay in census numbers uh, uh, interfered with the work they're trying to do to, to get those lines redrawn? Honestly, the first part of their process, um, the commission is really just doing sort of a roadshow around the state to learn um, from community members, from the public, exactly where, you know, these communities are that they're supposed to, you know, respect as they're, as they're going about and drawing the lines. So, you know, there is a delay in the Federal Census Bureau in getting us the, you know, the data to draw final maps, but really it hasn't affected this um, first stage of things where it really is the community, you know, the public's chance to stand up and make themselves, make ourselves known and, and teach the, you know, the commission um, what community boundaries they should, you know, really respect and, and not um, break apart. Now, Nancy, is Voters Not Politicians a Michigan organization or is it a national organization? 
we we are solely a Michigan-based organization. We are um, comprised of just, you know, Michiganders. Um, and like I said, you know, none of us, when we started this campaign, um, none of us had any political experience before. We just knew, we didn't even know what, you know, potential solutions were. Um, all we knew is that we wanted our elections to mean something. We wanted our votes to mean something. And this is a huge way of us, you know, kind of unrigging our elections so that it's the people who are choosing, you know, the politicians that work for us in Lansing. Now, Nancy, the Michigan Constitution of 1963 begins with the following words, all political power is inherent in the people. Can you tell me what that means to voters, not politicians? <clears throat> yeah, that's sort of our North Star, you know, that's our guiding light. So what that means is, you know, the politicians in Lansing you really work for us, right? We, we have all of the political power, and we gave some of that power to people, representatives, that are supposed to serve us in government. Um, and when they don't do that, you know, we kept power for ourselves to, to basically, you know, fix the system to kind of make them do that. So in, in Michigan, you know, people have the power to circulate petitions. We gather signatures. And we can put initiative on the ballot, kind of, you know, going around the legislature um, in order for, you know, the people to take the initiative to amend our state constitution to make our legislators, you know, again, work for us. So um, in other so words, really the voters are at the top of the organizational chart exactly. and they should realize the power that they have. Exactly. Nancy, um, there are initiatives like voters, not politicians, going on in other states around the country. And, and some states are a little farther along in the process of uh, uh, reorganizing how they reorganize, <laughs> for lack of a better way to put it. Um, but how much um, interaction is there between voters, not politicians in Michigan and uh, other groups like in California or Arizona or someplace else? <clears throat> sure. So there is a network of, you know, of, of people who really are looking at the system and, and feel like it needs to be fixed. Um, in every state, you know, your solution is really going to be, you know, kind of dependent on what is happening in your state. So with independent citizens commissions for redistricting, we did, um, you know, reach out to um, two states that already had citizens commissions to say, okay, what was working about your system, what, you know, what isn't. And those two states were California and Arizona. Um, and, you know, there were lots of things we learned, like, you know, it's good to have uh, a commission that has, you know, Republicans, Democrats, and independents. You know, it's good to, um, you know, make sure that one party's not dominating um, because, you know, in, in our constitutional amendment, for example, you know, you need to adopt maps. You need an agreement, you know, across these different buckets. So you need Republicans to sign on, Democrats, and independents. So those kinds of things were, you know, things that we of adopted as best practices from other states but in michigan you know there are certain things that are just kind of unique to us um and so we did incorporate things that are you know like we had an application process you know where people you know affiliated themselves and said well i am you know i tend to vote republican because we don't have uh, a formal uh, party registration um things like that that you know i think are turning out to really, um, you know, they, they make sense when you're kind of looking at our system and you're kind of seeing this process play out. You know, Michigan citizens are really responding. Um, they feel like the system 
um, that we now have is really putting uh, people forward. Um, and that's kind of a combination of things of, you know, what do we need in Michigan for a solution and what can we sort of, you know, look to other states and, and sort of borrow as, um, as the best practices that played out in those states. You know, I've heard from some independents and, and third-party uh, affiliated people that feel like the commission maybe um, leans a little too heavy uh, in favor of the two-party system. You know, trying to be bipartisan and independent. Um, what do you say to those people? I, I mean, it's it's impossible to have a group of people that literally represents everyone. Sure. Um, well, first I would say that actually our commission has, um, you know, it has four spots. It's a 13-member commission, and we have four spots for Republicans, four spots for Democrats, and then we actually have five spots for either independents or third-party um, supporters. So actually, you know, in our, in our state and in this setup, you know, independents and third-party supporters have um, more of a say, more of a... Um, kind of, um, of seats uh, on the commission itself than the two major parties. Um, and then I, another thing I would say, too, is that, you know, the commission is there to do a job, right? Its job is mostly to listen, to respect communities, and then to work with, you know, experts, mapping experts, um, to draw the lines, which, you know, they have to do, by the way, like in, in public and transparently. Um, but really what is what they're working with is information that is from the public. So, you know, independents, third-party supporters, anyone in Michigan, you don't even have to be a voter. It's, you know, you are free now for the first time in our state's history to go and say, you know, this is my community. You know what, you know, we are, we as these, you know, party supporters have never been heard. Um, we need to be. And the commission's job is actually, you know, to listen to you and to incorporate your input into our map. And again, that's never been done before. So I would say, you know, everyone's opportunity, um, you know, is, is there and, and we should, you know, really grab it and take advantage and, and tell the commission, um, you know, what our interests are and that we deserve to be heard. Nancy, I've been on, uh, my husband and I, several uh, Zoom meetings where voters, not politicians, did a presentation about redistricting. And one of the most memorable Zoom meetings was the meeting that you did with the University of Michigan. And one of the issues that kept coming up was the perception of these, and I'll do it with finger quotes, communities of interest. Can you talk about what the communities of interest are and give an example of something that would be a, an interest for a community or a commonality for a community in another area? Sure. So there's a concept of communities of interest, you know, and and in our constitution, it's you know it's sort of near the top of the list. There are certain things that you know when you draw maps as the commission, you have to, for example, not violate the federal constitution. You know, you can't you know split people apart, um, trying to disadvantage you know uh, people of one race over another, for example. Um, and then, you know, and then you have to keep districts, you know, contiguous. So you can't have a district, you know, that's like got, you know, spots here and then not connected, you know, way down here is another spot of it. But then after that, you know, it's really this community of interest idea where it's the commission's job, like I said, to listen and, and hear from people in a certain area 
what binds them together? You know, do they have, you know, and those interests could be um, historical, right? They could be, um, you know, we really identify as, as this historical community, you know, that came together and we have this rich history of, you know, of our you know, own identity, our own museums, our own, you know, kind of cultural um, <clears throat> identities, or it could be economic, right? Like we are, um, you know, uh, we, we, we tend to kind of a lot of us, you know, vote or work around this Ford plant, for example, and we want to, you know, be kept in the district with the place that we work so that our politicians can really, um, you know, fight for policies that, um, that benefit us as workers as well as the place that we work with, uh, for. So, you know, it really, it's a concept that sounds a little, like, technical and strange because it's communities of interest, but really what it means is community. So, and, you know, really anybody can think of, well, myself, you know, I belong to this, this you know, school district, right, or I'm on, you know, this side of town. I'm, I live very close to the University of Michigan, so maybe I share some interest in, like, infrastructure roads or something with the university. You know, there can be, or, you know, I... I uh, and a member of this, you know, church community. So, you know, it really is just whatever identifies you with other people so that you all can share one representative that goes to Lansing or goes to D.C. and fights for what is important to you in your life. Um, and, you know, that concept is used by, I think, 26 other states, you know, for redistricting. So whether it's a commission or politicians drawing the lines, you know, so it really is, it's it's common and it makes sense because, you know, our maps really should be drawn so that people can, you know, elect politicians that work for, for us and um, people who, you know, live um, around where we live. Nancy, the um, Supreme Court has ruled on, they've been reluctant to get too involved with issues of redistricting, but they have handed down some decisions with regard to, as as you referred communities of interest with regard to uh, primarily as it relates to civil rights and people of color. Um, Do those Supreme Court rulings have to be taken into consideration um, when a new commission is, is formed and new lines are being drawn? Yeah, so um, so the federal Supreme Court, you know, has had a few, um, well, actually many over the years, um, redistricting cases before it. And so there are two types, there are two kinds of ways that, you know, politicians have tried to split up our communities, again, to, you know, to kind of, um, uh, to their advantage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and one way is really just to split people up by race, right? Mm-hmm. And you say, well, um, you know, this racial group is going to be split up into six different districts so that their um, political power is completely diluted by, exactly. you know, all of the people that live in the surrounding district. That is unconstitutional. Um, you cannot do that, uh, you know, for lots of, you know, for the same reason you can't, you know, split people up and, you know, and discriminate against them in the workplace or, you know, uh, with schools or anything like that. So, and then another, you know, another way you can split people up for partisan advantage is you split them up because you think they're going to vote Democratic or Republican. Um, And that is called partisan gerrymandering, which, again, it happened in Michigan. Um, And unfortunately, you know, recently the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court said, well, that one's a little hard to understand. You know, we don't know when 
it's really bad or when it's happening. So we're going to leave that to the states to decide, um, you know, whether that's allowed or not. And, and yet, you know, states like Michigan, yeah. uh, the Michigan legislature, in the wake of the uh, 2020 presidential election and some of the chaos that uh, that occurred, some because of misinformation and some because of the pandemic and doing things a little differently, um, legislatures, uh, well, the legislature in Michigan and others around the country are entertaining um, election reforms that Mm -hmm. have become extremely controversial now voters uh, not politicians it's its primary concern is about redistricting and and making that a a fair and independent and nonpartisan process Mm -hmm. but yet uh, as evidenced by a letter I got from you this morning in my email (laughs) um, voters not politicians is paying a lot of attention to to some of these uh, um, some of the new regulations that are are being mm-hmm. proposed. What what exactly is going on there? What what are the concerns and, and fears about um, some of the reforms that are being considered? Right. So the reason we're involved is because we you know stand for the the proposition the the truth that it is our political power, and so. Anything that politicians are doing that take away the power of our vote, like redistricting, like, you know, gerrymandering, or making it harder for us to vote, period, you know, by making it harder for us to apply for an absentee ballot, for example, which is one of the things that they're trying to do now in the legislature. Um, you know, we need to fight for all of those things so that voters can be heard and we can vote for the people who actually are going to vote, you know, uh, work for us. So we think, you know, voting itself, right, whether you can vote or not, whether, you know, they're trying to make it as hard as possible is tied to redistricting because, you know, Republicans in, the, in our legislature are trying to gain back that partisan advantage that they no longer have from redistricting. So now they're trying to pick their voters by making it harder for certain voters, right, who tend to vote Democratic, say, to vote, whereas, you know, their supporters now don't have to deal with um, those, you know, kind of difficulties. Um, You know, one of the things, like I said, that's most concerning is we all have a constitutional right now to vote absentee for no reason. Um, And now the uh, politicians are trying to say, okay, that's fine. We can't do anything about that because it's in our constitution. But what we're going to do is every time you try to get an absentee ballot, you have to photocopy, you know, your driver's license and put that in the mail along with your application. You know, that there's no reason for that. It's simply just to make it harder for people to vote absentee, knowing that, you know, that extra burden will discourage some people from voting at all, you know. Um, so there are, there are lots of things like that that, you know, they're trying to throw kind of these, you know, hurdles in your way for no reason. Like they keep saying, well, you know, it's for security. Well, we had 250 audits in our state after 2020 that showed that our our election was, you know, the safest, you know, the most secure. There were no security issues, and yet we also had, you know, the highest voter turnout during a global pandemic. Like, there are lots of challenges you could say, well, oh, maybe it's going to affect our elections. Um, but actually, you know, our 1,500 clerks um, actually did, you know, what they do all the time, which is being professional, making sure that every vote is counted, um, you know, making sure that um, 
all of our laws are followed, and that's what they did in 2020. So, and yet, you know, you see all of these 39 bills actually Senate Republicans uh, mm. introduced, all of them, you know, which are just things like I just described, where you know you have to now, as a voter, do this or do that um, just to vote. Nancy, are you aware of what would be considered the most gerrymandered district in the state of Michigan? Because it's purported that my congressional district, the 14th congressional mm -hmm. district, is the most gerrymandered. Would you agree, or do you have a better answer <laughs> to that? <laughs> well, the Dan, Dan, um, oh. Dan Kildee's district comes to mind. Yeah, that one too, Tom. <laughs> Right, Definitely. right. So unfortunately, in Michigan, there's lots of examples, right? Uh, unfortunately, um, again, because, you know, the politicians were taking everything, they were they're kind of throwing all of their power, you know, doing everything they could to, like, eke out, you know, every uh, advantage they could get. So there are state, you know, House districts, state Senate districts. Um, you know, our congressional delegation is, you know, it's all it's out of whack, but also, you know, both chambers in our state legislature are also, you know, um, uh, you know, heavily gerrymandered. So definitely the 14th is something that we point to a lot because um, it is so, you know, the shape is, is so convoluted. Um, yes. But you also see that Brenda Lawrence, you know, election after election, she wins by, you know, 88% or 86%. Yes. And the reason for that is because they packed, you know, Detroit and Pontiac, like, you know, in the same district in order to basically capture all of the African-American voters um, who tend to vote Democratic into one district so that all of the surrounding areas um, in Metro Detroit then went Republican. And to, to limit the, that voting block to one vote. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any idea, Nancy, when we'll see um, new districts play out in an election? <laughs> I'm dealing with, I think, what a lot of other people are, and my kids are um, not cooperating right now. <laughs> Do you mind repeating your question? No, not at all. Um, <laughs> what I was saying is, um, how far along are we in the process? When will we see new districts in uh, an election? Um, will it be in 2022? Yeah. Yes, yes, it's very exciting. So, you know, the commission is working now, and new maps will be used for the first time in the August 22 primary. Mm -hmm. Tom, did you know that the National Democratic Redistricting Committee, headed by former um, U.S. Attorney General in the Clinton administration and in the Obama administration, was so impressed with voters, not politicians, in their efforts that they got the largest donation from his organization in the amount of $250,000. Nancy, how is Voters Not Politicians funded? Well, actually, um, during our campaign, you know, for the first 18 months, like, nobody thought that we would um, succeed at all. <laughs> Nancy, so, um, Nancy, I hate to interrupt, but I have a break oh, coming up here. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can wrap course. it up and talk yeah, some more? Okay, and we'll get we'll uh, 
Pam, I'll have you repeat that question when we come back. If you're listening to us on 92.1 LPFM in Flint, our voices radio, we're going to let them squeeze in a few words or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. We'll be back right after this. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zondrick. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. 
We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Summer Program.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We uh, continue my conversation with uh, Nancy Wang, the Executive Director of Voters Not Politicians, about redistricting. I have also with me uh, on the phone uh, my, my favorite Oakland County activist, Pam Gerald, and uh, just before the break, well, first I want to say welcome back to both of you. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Thank you, Tom. I Um, love the commercials. (laughs) Good. Um, Nancy, are you still with us? Yep, I'm still here. Thank you, thank you. Just before the the break, Pam had asked about funding of uh, voters, not politicians, and uh, I had to cut Nancy off. Nancy, do you want to pick it up there and talk about the funding for voters, not politicians, and then I have a question about uh, uh, the technical uh, part of it. Sure. So um, during our campaign, we were funded uh, through grassroots donations for the first, you know, 18 months as we were drafting our policy and collecting all of our signatures. We had to collect 428,000 signatures with all volunteers. So that was just us funding ourselves. Um, and then after we got, you know, the ballot, uh, the petition that qualified for the ballot, then people start to started to pay attention. <laughs> um, and we did get donations from, you know, NBRC. Um, and, you know, and others, and we made it very clear that we were nonpartisan, that the policy was, you know, it was written, and, um, and these, you know, groups wanted to see citizens in charge of redistricting um, and not politicians, so uh, we were glad to have their support. And now, as we, you know, we're focused on making sure that people are, you know, before the commission, that they know that, you know, it, it really is their voice, that's what, what is important. We're funded uh, by our own volunteers still, but then also by foundations. And I, I wanted to ask you about the uh, the technical side of, of this. The uh, the commission that's uh, charged with uh, doing the um, the actual drawing of the lines, they are in the process now of, of having uh, hearings or town hall meetings is probably a better way to put it, uh, to get... Uh, voters feedback on what they would like to see how they would like to see uh the drawing of of representative districts uh, approached um but I, I can't help wondering with the technology that we have if we want something that's that's really um uh nonpartisan and and uh so on is there an algorithm or something that could be written that would that would have uh, computers basically draw the lines in the most reasonable uh, geographic separations uh, taking into considerations the uh, information gathered in these these town hall meetings or um, how how will the, the commission go about actually drawing the lines Great. So, yeah, the commission is right in the process of gathering this public input. It's actually, it's going to have a, um, a public hearing in Flint um, this coming Tuesday, June 1st. 
um, and then Dearborn after that, and then it's you know it's going to make its way um, to southeast Michigan. Um, so you know, I really encourage your listeners to to go ahead and and you know everything has to be out in the public, like I said. So you know, everyone is really welcome and encouraged to attend one of these public hearings and and tell the commission you know um, what what gerrymandering has done to your community and how you want you know the the lines to be drawn this time, and you know how they're actually going to draw the map. Oops. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, make sure you provide the information regarding for the June 1st meeting, where it's going to be, who do the Flint residents call, and how can they participate and get involved. And sorry for the sure. interruption. Oh, yeah, no problem. So everyone can go to um, our website, uh, votersnotpoliticians.com slash BOI, which is you know short for Community of Interest. And there we have like all sorts of you know tips about you know how you can make your voice heard, you know where are all the public hearings, um, or you can go to the state's website, which is redistrictingmichigan.org, and they then have a list of where all of the different um, uh, public hearings are, and then links to you know how you can submit like a written testimony or um, or um, go in person and you know and um, talk to the commissioners yourself um, in Flint. Uh, the the meeting will be on Tuesday, like I said, June 1st. It starts at 6 p.m. in the evening, and it will be at the Dort Financial Center in Flint. And then after that, on Thursday, there's going to be another public hearing at the Ford Community and Performing Arts Center in Dearborn. And then, like I said, it's going to you know they're going to go then to Novi, to Pontiac, um, and then Detroit, um, and then you know it's going to they're going to continue there their tour around Michigan. Um, and then as to how the, you know, the maps are drawn, so yes, they have to, you know, in the first instance, they have to look at what they've gotten, they have to see where the communities are, but then of course they have to draw actual maps and make sure that, you know, each district has the same amount of people in it, right? That's, that's why we do redistricting. Um, and they are going to use the same computer programs that, you know, mapping any other like, commission um, uses uh, you know, it's called Maptitude, um, but there are other, uh, you know, software programs um, as well that they can choose from. Um, but these are, you know, you, you put in your inputs and then you can kind of, you know, um, you can pick this street, you know, and not, you know, exclude that street. I mean, it's very, very fine work that you can do. But the difference now is that the commission is going to be, you know, figuring out what street to include or, you know, what, you know, area of, um, of a, a geographic uh, area to include based not on like whether that means Republicans would win that district or Democrats, but based on okay, we have we heard testimony that we really need to keep you know these two um, you know communities together, et cetera. Um, yeah, but yeah. I figured, of, I figured oh, in yeah. this day and age, Nancy, there had to be an app for that. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and actually, actually, there are apps for for us too. You know, we have simpler versions, right? We don't need like all of all of the bells and whistles, but we have simpler versions that we can use. And like I said, on our voters, not politicians website, we actually have like um, videos to kind of walk you through, or we actually have a paper and pencil version that you can just kind of an you know ask or answer some questions, and then you can just physically you can just kind of draw you know maps like you know on a piece of paper, and you can submit those too. Well, uh, Nancy, it's purported that with this redistricting, 
that one of our congressional districts will be lost. I hear on one side it's going to be the Detroit 13th Congressional District. I also hear on the other side it's going to be my congressional district, which is the 14th, and I think we are currently the largest district in the state of Michigan. What have you been hearing? Which district will be lost and why? Um, honestly, you know, what we're focused on is really the input, you know, um, as opposed to the outcomes. So, mm. you know, yes, obviously, you know, because our population hasn't grown as much, it has grown, but like not as much as some southwestern states, we are going to lose. It's official. We are going to lose. Yeah, that's a result of the census. We're we're yeah. gonna, we're going to lose a congressional district, and as as to size of districts, that's a, a geographical thing because it is required that representative districts have equal numbers of people. That's right, mm-hmm. right. So we're going to the redistricting process is sort of like to correct imbalances because over the last ten years, you know, people have moved and you know um, been born or died, so. So now we're going to have new districts, again, just 13 congressional districts now instead of 14, but all of our congressional districts now are going to be um, kind of adjusted so that they have the same population again. Well, Tom, I wanted to let you and uh, Nancy know that my husband, who's referred to as the Silver Fox, one of the greatest men in the world, he was selected for that redistricting committee, and because we didn't know the outcome of the pandemic He decided not to participate, but we've been doing what we can do in terms of putting the word out there, uh, letting people know how important it is. But, Nancy, do you really believe that we should be doing this now when we did not have an accurate count for the census? And I think Tom mentioned that earlier. The count hasn't been uh, the best count and Biden was supposed to open it up and continue the count. Did he ever do that, and is it going to be fair? Right. Well, you know, that's a good question. You know, the census was, I mean, there were, you know, so many things that went into how, you know, whether we could count all of our citizens here in Michigan, but, um, or residents here in Michigan, but, you know, I think whether we need to do this now, absolutely we need to do this, do this now. We, are, okay. we have been operating in the last 10 years, really for decades before that, with maps that are so, you know, manipulated that our, you know, election results were a foregone conclusion. So we really do need to completely revamp this system, um, and that's what's happening now. Um, you know, and my understanding is that, you know, one of the reasons why the census, final census data won't come out until September of this year, as opposed to when we usually get it, which is like February, is because they are, you know, they are trying to make some corrections and, and all of that. And, you know, yeah, I mean, I think I, I have heard, I'm not a census expert, but I've heard that, you know, there are certain things that some people wish, you know, could have been done differently, but Again, like as to the redistricting process, absolutely. We need to do this now because otherwise we'd have to, you know, uh, operate under these same gerrymandered maps, and we just can't do that for another election. You know, we, we've, <laughs> we've had election results that don't reflect what the people 
um, want and deserve, and we need to fix that now. Well, Nancy, we have to uh, end it there, but thank you so much for spending time with me uh, and um, Pam and the listeners this morning. Appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, such a pleasure. Thank you so much. And Pam, do you want to rejoin me at uh, 11? We're trying to do a radio show. I can rejoin you at 11. All right. Thanks, Pam. It's a time your program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.